what I want. I want better schools. I want cleaner streets. I want to expel the violent gangs of geese in Detweiler Square. Mm -hmm. And I will finally eliminate this city's libraries. In the last few weeks, we've turned this campaign into a well-oiled machine. Uh, Leslie's stump speech is 10 minutes and 40 seconds every time. Here, check this out. There will be a big laugh right now. And now a two-second awkward silence after Leslie does her Rodney Dangerfield impression. I tell you, these geese don't give me no respect. No respect at all. She insists on trying it every time, and it never works. <clears throat> but the rest of the speech, fantastic. When I was building parks, helping the community, and putting together the Harvest Festival, where was Bobby? He and his father, Nick Newport, were exploiting this city for their personal gain. You deserve more. Here's the best part. Watch what happens when she says, Together we can build a better Pawnee. Everybody says they care about the issues, but at the end of the day, all anyone really wants is free clothing shot at them from a cannon. Can I get it all the way to the back? I think I can get it all the way back there. All right. Thank, thank you, Jared. Thank you for the Gloria Stefan clip. You got Gloria Stefan and Rod Stewart in one weekend. I promise this is not 1989. Don't worry. I was talked down from using an actual cannon. They thought we might end up with t-shirts embedded into drywall, and that probably wouldn't be a good look for us. We are kicking off our giving campaign here this weekend at Lutheran Church of Hope. The clip we watched is from a show called Parks and Recreation. Uh, Leslie Nope is finishing up her campaign uh, to be a city council member. Um, and, and uh, you know, this is thankfully for us the end of an election season right now in Iowa, so that feels really great. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be great to have all that over with. Um, I'd never tell you, you know, how to vote or even who I'm going to vote for, but just do it. Go out on November 6th and, and cast your vote. Uh, this giving campaign for us is a lot different from that, obviously. A giving campaign at Hope is not us trying to convince you to do something trying to convince you that it's a good idea to be a part of uh, what we feel like God is leading us into. Really, the next four weeks of our giving campaign is going to be us celebrating the things that we see God doing and us trying to respond to His faithfulness for our church. So just to give you some idea about the scope of this project, what we're hoping to do. Now, a lot of this information is going out through our open houses and through our uh, website. So if you haven't been able to connect to one of those, you can check out our Hope Beyond booth out next to the lobby. But that's where we're going to be pushing out this project. So that wall by by the nursery. We're going to blow through that and build about 20,000 square feet onto the west of this property. Uh, two levels, top and bottom. The upper level will be some gathering space, a new venue, lower level more classroom space for our kids, for our youth, um, to really put them first and to give them a place where they can feel at home and welcome. So that's kind of the, the idea behind it. It's been fun to refine this, this vision and these ideas, especially when you get to the engineering and the architecture phase. It's a lot of fun. Uh, in the next four weeks of our giving campaign, so it'll only last a month, here's kind of where we're going. Today we're talking about a generation beyond. 
What does it mean biblically for us to be focused on the future generations in our church, and how should we respond to leaving a lasting legacy behind for, for generations that come after us? Next week, Pastor Scott's going to be back from South Africa, thankfully, and uh, he's going to preach about a faith beyond a doubt, and then the week after that, a love beyond, taking a look at what the Bible has to say about living a generous life, not just financial generosity, but, but how do we live a lifestyle that, that looks to other people and to help them. And then finally, our commitment weekend, November 17th and 18th. This is the only weekend where we will actually be taking uh, commitments and pledges. So you can give a one-time gift or a three-year pledge at that weekend only. We won't be doing it any other time. Uh, all of these uh, next three weeks are going to be about, again, like I said, looking to what God is doing and, and how we should be focusing on His vision for our future as a church. And the big question for this is, is why? Why are we doing this right now? I mean, this building itself is only four years old, and we're talking about knocking down walls already. Why is this the time do we feel like it's right for us to be thinking about expanding and growing? And, and the simplest explanation for that in the Bible is that healthy things grow. God tells us that healthy things grow. Not just healthy churches, but healthy uh, plants, healthy communities, healthy families grow. Uh, God grows them. It's Him that produces the growth. Jesus is teaching on this in Mark chapter 4. He's teaching parables about His kingdom, and He says this, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. And that's the, that's the nature of growth in the church. That, that our responsibility as his followers is, is, is to scatter seeds, seeds of the gospel that go out into the world, and we don't do that perfectly, certainly, and we, we make all kinds of mistakes, and, and then we can be able to point to God and say that it's, it's him who has actually brought growth to us. And so this isn't, you know, we're not building an expansion on our building like a field of dream scenario that if we build it, we're trying to, to elicit more growth or manufacture more growth. We're, we're experiencing the growth and we're trying to respond to it. Hope Ankeny, this campus has doubled in size since this building was built. And that's something that God's doing. That's not something that we're doing. Yeah, praise God for that. That's, that's God bringing you. That's not us trying to force you to come or trying to trick you into coming and, and making you think that this is some great thing. God is causing this growth in our church, not just numerically, but spiritually. We're, we're seeing spiritual revival happen in our community, again, because of what God is doing. And, and so healthy things grow, and we're trying to respond to that growth. And where we're seeing this growth is actually right where Jesus said it would come from. Again, he's teaching these parables about the kingdom, and he says this, it's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all the seeds but it becomes the largest of all the garden plants. And there are a lot of different ways to interpret this verse, this parable, but for me, the simplest is just to say, where are, who are our smallest seeds? Where are our small seeds? And it's our youth and our family. Our kids, our, our, our kids' ministries, our student ministry are growing even faster than our whole church. That, that, that's where we're seeing a predominant amount of growth. So um, just to give you some idea, I, this is the downfall of not using notes. I had to write this down. Um, so five years ago when we were planning to build this building, there were 97 students in our Power Life ministry, which is our, our middle school 6th, 7th, and 8th grade ministry. This year at Hope Ankeny, there are over 300 middle schoolers in Power Life. Five years ago, five years ago, we were blessed with 29 high schoolers in our ignition ministry, 9th through 12th grade. This year, there are over 200 high schoolers in ignition. 45 of them are on that retreat that they show during the Hope 360. 45 students from our campus are on a retreat right now. 320 Hope Kids Ministry, so our children's ministry, preschool through fifth grade, there were 325 years ago. This year, there are over 800 children in Hope Kids. Again, that's something that God is doing. That's, those are our smallest seeds. 
that God is planting in the ground and growing up for the future of his kingdom, for the next generation well beyond our lifetime, what we're going to see the church in the future become is happening for us today, and we want to be a part of that. And so we, we look into scripture and to find out, all right, so what does it mean to invest in the next generation? What is the next generation and how should we be focused on, on, that, on that project? And so this is our Bible reading for the day from Psalm 78. Let's go ahead and read this out loud together. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. When I was preparing for this message this weekend and thinking about this passage, um, I, I thought it was unusual. So this is the beginning of Psalm 78, and it says, we will not hide these truths from our children. And I began to think, well, why would you hide truth about God from your children? Of course, we want to tell our children about the great and mighty deeds of our Lord and, and to celebrate all the things that he's doing. And why would we want to hide those things? What's the temptation that the psalm writer is wrestling with about hiding truths from children? And then you read the rest of Psalm 78. The rest of Psalm 78, it's a pretty long psalm uh, in the category of, of these poems in the middle of the Bible. And, and what Psalm 78 does is it details all of the ways the people of God have been faithless in their relationship with Him. All of the ways throughout the history of God's people following Him, they have failed to follow Him well. So it goes all the way back in verse 9 uh, to where we've been over the last month. We were talking about the whole book of Exodus, and we looked at the different ways that the people of Israel forgot all of God's miracles. They forgot that they saw him part the Red Sea. They forgot that he uh, allowed them to escape from Egypt through all the miraculous deeds, that he brought manna from heaven and water from rocks and raised cities to the ground in front of them, and they just kept forgetting that the powerful God who was leading them into freedom was actually who, who, was, who was leading them. They, they just forgot all of God's miracles. And yet, Psalm 78 says, He kept giving them miracles, even though they forgot, and then it keeps going. They kept sinning, and they rebelled, and they rebelled again. They rebelled and disobeyed. Through the history of the nation of Israel was, was, a, was a pattern of rebellion, but God, still continuing to lead them like a flock, forgive them, and then eventually providing them a good king, King David, who, uh, who this talks about is uniting their nation finally, and God providing for them, even though they are faithless. And so the testimony about Psalm 78 is that God's faithfulness is eternally larger than our faithlessness. As we follow God imperfectly through life, as we make mistakes and stumble, God continues to be faithful. And so the temptation for this psalm writer is to say that's what we feel like we need to hide. We don't want to tell our kids about all of our mistakes. We don't want to tell our next generation about how badly we did following God because then that might make them not want to follow Him anymore. You know, our imperfections as a church, you know, we just, want to, we just want our children to think everything's perfect and good all the time because that'll make them think that they should keep investing in their relationship with God. And the Bible says, don't do that. Don't hide your imperfections from the next generation. Tell them about how imperfect, imperfectly you followed God because that'll allow you to say, it was God who did all of the great things we saw. It wasn't Hope Church that did all the great things we saw in our lifetime. It was actually God. We didn't do anything perfectly at all. We made mistakes. We stumbled, we fell. We just kept taking risks and taking chances, and God was the one who caused growth. God was the one who blessed us. So don't hide the truth about how you follow God imperfectly from, from the next generation. Make that a testimony of your life that I didn't do it right all the time. God was faithful in spite of my faithlessness. You know, and, and this good king that was, was given to Israel back then, that for us is Jesus Christ now. It, it says in Romans chapter 5 that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
That even in our sinfulness and in our disobedience to God, He still provided the good and perfect King, Jesus Christ, for us to follow with our lives. And so we shouldn't hide the testimony of our lives that says, I'm not perfect. We should actually boldly proclaim, I'm not perfect, and God is. And it's because of God and God alone that we see the things that we see in our lives and in our church and in our community. And so that's the testimony that we want our kids to hear. Because if it's all about us, if we make it all about us, how great we are, my fear would be that one day our next generation would say, well, I used to go to church. It was a great church. We had a lot of fun. We did a lot of fun things. It was nice because it was all about them. I would rather our next generation say, I still go to church because an imperfect church called Hope kept telling me it was about God and not about us and that He is great and that we are not, that He has saved us and that He has done great things and that we are trying to follow him as faithfully as possible, but we're making mistakes all the time, and that's why they're still sticking around. And I think they're actually catching on to this idea. Let's go ahead and take a look. It's a big commitment, but I love doing it because it's just a highlight for me to be able to come and relax at Power Life and Ignition and see all my friends. I come because when I was in, like, third grade probably, I was with my friend at um, Hope Kids and my leader told me that someday I could be up on the stage singing for Power Life instead of just singing in the audience. I thought, wow, that'd be so fun and now I'm here doing it and it just feels so great to be with my group every week. To learn more about God in the Bible. Awesome. Okay, bye. To <laughs> learn about God and be closer to God. Yeah. I like my leaders and just be able to express yes, different stuff. Yeah, we do. Our life is fun. Yes, we learn about God. You learn about God? We play fun games. Yes. We get to um, get to go on rotation. We get to experience about um, the Bible. That we can listen to songs and we can all pray together. Individual group time, just having time with their groups. It's pretty fun. My favorite part about small group is that we can talk about anything we want, but also like it's like in between us. When they sing, singing, like the talks and the retreats. Those are fun. Listen, we get to like, go in deeper into something specifically for our group. Like the interactions and everything you can get involved with. They're get to sing songs that, you know, are sort of more geared for kids like that, so we're not so bored all the time. Um, I like coloring and learning about Jesus and playing fun games. I like worshiping. Because you learn about church, like you learn about stuff like... I love small group time, yeah, okay. and I love my leaders. I like singing. I like it that, that we can learn, make new friends, learn about Jesus.
So I wanted you to show some, you know, the testimonies from some of our, our littlest seeds about why they keep coming here. You know, and resoundingly, you heard it wasn't really about any great, you know, physical space that we have. All of our students, if you've ever been here on a Wednesday night, you know, we don't, we're, we're here. They're downstairs right now rotating between rooms because there isn't a room that's big enough or that's right for them. They have to go from classroom to space to space to kind of make it work and make it fit, and they still love it. And on Wednesday nights, it's the same thing from 6 to 9 p.m. There are 800 kids here, not to mention all of the, the adult leaders and you guys who are great showing up every single week ministering to them. This place is just crazy full of people, and, and, it, and, and they're jammed into closets and tiny offices. And so when we ask, why do you keep coming back? It's not about hope. It's because this is where they get to hear the words of Jesus, that that's what they're here for, that that's what's actually attractive to, to the students who are coming. You know, the, the, the words of eternal life from Jesus Christ are what we talk about here, and that's what keeps them coming back. And Jesus taught about this in his ministry. You know, when we think about the words of Jesus Christ, often we think of um, the nice things that Jesus had to say. You know, blessed are the meek and the poor in spirit and all of those teachings that are really inspirational. But we forget sometimes that Jesus didn't hide the truths that were hard. Jesus, you know, sometimes we have a temptation to hide from our church or from our, our children, our youth, the hard statements about what it's like to follow Jesus. That actually the life of following Christ is sacrificial. That he calls us to give all of our life to him. Everything that we have, everything that we are in a relationship with Jesus now belongs to him. And we commit to that saying, God, all of this is yours and I'm giving my whole life to you. And that's what Jesus was preaching too. He didn't hide the hard truths about Christianity. In fact, in John 6 when he was teaching, he was teaching about how you have to actually take his life into yourself. That in order to follow him fully, he has to totally consume your life to be your Lord, to be your king. That you can't leave anything out from your relationship with Jesus. And all these people who were around, about 6,000 people had gathered to hear this sermon. And they gathered basically because it tells us in John that Jesus had been doing all these miracles. They were there for the show. They wanted to see Jesus perform miracles. They didn't really care so much about what he, was, what he had to say or who he was. And all of a sudden, he's saying these really difficult things about how in order to follow him, you have to give your whole life away. That you have to commit everything to God. And they said, this is, this is hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And then Jesus said, that's why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. Again, reinforcing this idea that growth comes from God, that God draws people to himself, that God is the one who actually produces growth. At this point, many of his followers turned away and deserted him. In Matthew, when it shares this story, it looks like there were about thousands of people who just walked away from Jesus because he didn't hide hard truths about him. You know, we have this temptation. We want to hide the, the difficult things about spirituality and faith. The reality that Christianity is not, you know, sunshine and rainbows all the time, that it's actually quite difficult to live a life committed to Jesus Christ. And thousands walked away from that message. But Jesus then turned to his 12, his closest disciples, his inner circle, and he said, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. And sometimes it really is as simple as that. That's the childlike faith that God tells us we should have in Jesus Christ. That said, yeah, there are these, there are these deep theological truths that are way too uh, over my head. But, but at the core of it, what our kids can say is I'm here because Jesus is here. I'm here to hear the eternal words of Jesus Christ that are timeless, that are changeless, that will impact my life forever. And if we hide the hard truths, if we hide our mistakes, what we will then leave out also is the truth that, that simply at the end of the day, the eternal words of Jesus Christ are here. And that's what people need to hear. And that's what they're coming to hear. 
So I also wanted to share that video with you because um, there's there's a lot of pessimism right now in our culture about the future generations, about the next generation. A lot of negativity has been written and said about, you know, millennials or Gen Zers. I don't even know all the different labels and names for the the future generations that are coming up. There's a fair amount of pessimism about that, that that even though we're becoming more global, we're becoming disconnected and isolated that it might even be this next generation that is the collapse of Western civilization as we know it, all these things that are getting said, and I just don't see that when I talk to our students and our youth. I don't see disconnection. I don't see pessimism. I see students and children who, who are alive in their faith, who are excited about the future, even though it's going to look different from how it looks today. That's really the scary part for most of us is that it's just different. It's not how it was when I was younger. Church is different from when it, what it was then. And it's going to be different in the future from how it is right now because the future generation changes. Things change. Um, Beloit College up in uh, Wisconsin every year for a long time has been putting out what they call the mindset list. Has anybody heard of this? The, the Beloit College mindset list? Good. Um, so every year uh, they, they put out a list of cultural influences that have impacted the in- incoming college freshman class. So for the class of 2022... All the kids who are in this freshman class, 2018, they put out a list of what are the cultural influences on their life? What is the world as they have seen it from being alive since being born in the year 2000, which seems crazy to me even that, uh, that this year's college freshmen were born in the year 2000. So this is some from the Beloit Mindset List, how our our next generation has seen the world. Um, For this incoming class, somebody has always lived in outer space in their lifetime. There's always been somebody habitating a, a space station since they've been alive. Um, They've always been able to refer to Wikipedia. The Toyota Prius has always been on the road in the United States in their lifetime. They've never had to spit in the dentist's office. If if you were born in 2000, did you know if you're younger than 18, you used to have to spit at the dentist's office when they were in style. You don't have to, they've never had to do that. They don't know what that means. They've always had access to e-books. Light bulbs have always been shatterproof. Hand dryers have always been standard in public restrooms, and there has been an O.J. Simpson investigative special on TV every single year since they were born. So that's just some of the things that are influencing our our next generation. It's different. It changes. And that's okay. You know, change is not a bad thing because the core of the gospel message, the eternal truths of Jesus Christ will never change. Those will last forever. The truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ was sent by God to redeem this world, to save this world by his death and resurrection, that's never going to change. But that doesn't mean that the packaging, how we describe that, can't. That we can present it in different... One of the beautiful things about the gospel message is that for 2,000 years in every country around the world, that message has been packaged in different ways to help it make sense to the people it's coming into contact with. And so all around the world, for 2,000 years, people believe and trust in the same things we trust in, but we're interacting with it in a different way. And our next generation is going to interact with it in a different way, and that's okay. Uh, Gabe Lyons wrote a a pretty great book a few years ago called The Next Christians. Gabe Lyons is a part of the Barna Research Group, which for about 20 years has been doing research on uh, on the next generation, on the church and and historical trends, and they do a lot of really in-depth qualitative and quantitative research about what they see in the church and why it might be declining and and the future of of, of believers. And and so Gabe wrote this book called The Next Christians, describing what the qualities are of, of the emerging generation of believers. What will the church look like in the future, and how might we change today 
to start leaving that legacy? How might we train up our next generation and respond to the way that they're interacting with the truth of Jesus? So some of the qualities he lists, this is one of them. He said that next Christians will be provoked. It'll be on the screen. There we go. Provoked and not offended. That, that, that is the, uh, one of the hallmarks of the next generation of Christianity. They will be provoked to engage, but not offended. That's been the mode of operation for the church for, for too long. That, that we see something in the world around us, in the culture, that we don't like, and instead of engaging with it and trying to find a way to heal it, to restore it, maybe even redeem it, we just cut ourselves off from that part of the culture and isolate. We build a wall between us and the world around us because we think that the corruption in the world will somehow impact the church which is actually backwards, that it's the church who's supposed to be engaging with the world. So next, Christians are reading the Bible, and they're saying, but Jesus didn't get offended. Jesus saw something that was, that was broken, that was wounded, that was in need of restoration, and he actually went out and did something about it. He engaged with the culture. Well, a silly example, um, Halloween is, is this week, uh, and that's been this funny little thing in, in Christianity where for a long time Christians would get really offended about Halloween as a holiday because it's, you know, demons and witches and all these things, and I don't know where you're at on that spectrum. It's, it's, I'm not making any judgment statements about that, but instead of being offended by it, we're actually passing up on the one time of year when it's socially acceptable to knock on your neighbor's door and they have to open it. It, that doesn't ever happen. I knock on a lot of doors and nobody ever answers their door except on Halloween. Why would you pass up that opportunity to knock on your neighbor's door and to say, hey, trick or treat, by the way, my name is Eli. I've lived across the street from you for 10 years and I never learned your name. I'm sorry. Hopefully I'll see you around the neighborhood and to start developing a relationship, to actually engage in ways that make a difference. When I was coming up in ministry, my first full-time ministry job, I was a worship director in a church outside of Chicago, and it was a small church plant, um, but we had a really tight relationship with a men's shelter in the city. It's in Aurora, outside of Chicago, and this shelter focused on how to transition men from the correctional institution back into society. And so I got to learn a lot about, you know, it's a big process with jobs and transportation and housing and all these things, and so our church was partnering with them. There was a season when I was a worship director that my entire band was comprised of musicians who had at one time been incarcerated, addicted to a substance, and sometimes even jailed in the state penitentiary in Joliet for some pretty terrible violent crimes. But they gave their lives to Jesus in prison, and they wanted to continue to serve from their gifts, from the talents that they felt like God gave them, and I had a choice. I could either say, your life is offensive to me, you're dangerous to the church, I don't want any part of what you're doing, or to engage with their life and to say, you absolutely can serve on our team. In fact, where else would you learn about the love that God has for you unless you're here actively involved? And now I can be able to say that looking back, you know, 10 years and more ago, that those guys have, have jobs and wives and kids, and God has done a complete transformation in their life, not because of me, but I got to see it because I engaged with them. And we shouldn't be any different. Getting offended is not the way that Jesus has called the church. We should be provoked to engage, and that's how the next generation is actually going to relate to the world around us. The next quality is that they are countercultural and not relevant, quote-unquote relevant. Relevancy was a buzzword about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago in the church when we thought the best way to, to again, manufacture growth was to take a look at popular culture and just copy whatever was happening in the world for the church. So we would make, if there was a popular style of music, we would copy it and make a Christian version of that. 
or there was a video, a, a movie style, we copy it and make a, there was even like Christian um, romance novels and all kinds of things, ways that we were trying to copy culture because the thinking was, if people come to church and they see the same things that they see outside, then they won't realize that they're in church and they'll just keep coming back. You know, we'll have tricked them somehow into thinking that, that this isn't really any different from your life outside of, uh, of this place, and that's, that's false. That's bait and switch. That's not genuine. That's not true. And that's not the church. Jesus teaches about the church for countercultural purposes. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? The church is qualitatively different from every other part of society. And it has to be. Otherwise, what, what are we? You know, salt in Jesus' day was the only way that they could preserve raw meat. That was, they didn't have refrigerators. They had salt that they would pack it in, and it would stop the bacteria and the enzymes from causing decay. And our world right now it has a lot of decay, has a lot of, of death, has a lot of dysfunction, you know, and we need to be praying about that. But we also need to, as Jesus said, cover the world in the goodness that he has given us, in the flavor that he has given us, and work on preserving, work on taking care of the world, that you are the salt of the earth. Maybe we could retranslate this parable for today. We have refrigerators now. You are the refrigerator of the world, church. You are the, the thing that God has put in the world to care for the world, to make sure it doesn't continue to rot and decay. And if you, oh, this is going to get good. If you unplug yourself from the power of God, right, here we go. If you unplug yourself from the power of God and you shut off and you become the same temperature as the world around you, then you're just a box. Then you're just four walls and a roof and you're not good for anything. We are called to be different. And not in, a, not in a, an, uh, an obtrusive, conflicting way, but in a countercultural way that looks to preserve, restore, heal, giving of ourselves so that the world around us can be brought back into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what next generation Christians are thinking. Finally, next Christians are creators and not critics. Creators and not critics. Uh, Andy Crouch wrote this great book a few years ago called Culture Making, where he said, cultures aren't changed by being condemned, critiqued, or copied. The only way to change culture is to create more of it. And there are things in our world, again, that, that need to be changed. Things that have to happen in our world, but the way that we change those things isn't by pointing fingers and saying, that's bad and I don't like that and you shouldn't do that. The way that the church is called to change the world is to build itself up to make itself more prominent by its own culture. We don't, we don't build ourselves up by pointing fingers and saying Halloween is a bad idea. That doesn't build the church. That actually just reinforces a negative opinion about us that the world thinks we're hypocritical and full of criticism and negativity, which that shouldn't be true of the church. We should be about positively creating the culture that God is calling us to make within ourselves so that it can overflow the church out into the world. And, and a lot of what creativity looks like for us in the church today is legacy building, building something that's going to last beyond ourselves. Because we're doing that whether we're aware of it or not. You are building a legacy. You are leaving behind something for the future generation. And what we want to be about is actually consciously deciding what that legacy is going to look like and be, how we're going to keep telling the story of our faith to generation after generation after generation. Because you might be sitting here thinking, well, why, why would I want to invest in a youth and family wing? You may not have kids yet. You know, you, you may be past the age where your kids would be, your kids are grown and gone. And, and, and so this, this whole idea of classrooms and student space, and that doesn't matter to you at all. But we're all in this together, church. All of us, all the kids downstairs worshiping right now, those are my kids and your kids. All the students here on Wednesday nights, those are my students and your students. 
That, that this is a community together, and we are building a legacy for them, not for ourselves, but so that they can tell their children about Jesus, and they can tell their children and their children. And this, this movement of Christianity will continue to spread through the world over for all of eternity. God said his word will never change and never stop. And we get to be a part of something bigger like that. There was a, a movie that came out um, well, a few years ago where Kevin Klein plays a teacher in a, in a boys' school, and he's trying to instill this idea of building a legacy even in the lives and the minds of young students at his school. Let's take a look. Your name, sir? Uh, Robert Brewster, sir. Very good. And you? Deepak Mehta, sir. And your name? Eugene Field, sir. Field. And you? Martin Bleiser. Got a question? Uh, no, sir. Uh, my name is Martin Bleiser. Very good. You all know your own names. Question is, do I? Mr. Blythe. Me, sir? Yes, you. Now, Mr. Field to your right, or Mr. Gray to your left, or Mr. Diebel behind you. You, sir, will you do me a favor and walk to the back of this classroom and read for us the plaque which you see hanging over that door? I am sh sh I am Good. A little louder, please. I am Shudruk Nahunte, king of Anshans and Susa, sovereign of the land of Alam. I destroyed Sippar and took the stele of Naran. Steel? Took the steel of Naran Sin and brought it back to Alam, where I erected it as an offering to my god. Shudruk Nahunte, 1158 BC. Well done, Mr. Blythe. Thank you. You may be seated. Shutruk Nahunti. Is anyone familiar with this fellow? Texts are permissible, but you won't find it there. Shutruk Nahunti, king, sovereign of the land of Elam, destroyer of Sippar. Behold, his accomplishments cannot be found in any history book. Why? Because great ambition and conquest without contribution is without significance. What will your contribution be? How will history remember you? Shutruk Nahunte, utterly forgotten. Unlike the great men you see around you, Aristotle, Caesar, Augustus, Plato, Cicero, Socrates, giants of history, men of profound character, Men whose accomplishments surpass their own lifetime and survive even into our own. Their story is our story. So he said, great ambition and conquest without contribution is without consequence. And I think that points to the reality of our lives. Sometimes we think that we're living for ourselves. We want to achieve the things that would make our lives better. The, the, the ambitions that we have in our lives, but we forget that, that God's economy says it's more about what you give than what you take in, that your life will actually be made qualitatively better the more you give out from yourself, the more you contribute to the world around you, 
The more you contribute to his kingdom and the movement that you're a part of as the church. And it's never too early or too late to be thinking about the legacy you're leaving. We're having our, our Hope Kids this month today. They got uh, collection boxes that they're going to take home this month, and they can color on them and things like that. On, com- on Commitment Sunday, they're all going to bring those offerings forward. Our students are doing the same thing. And my favorite pa- one of my favorite psalms in the Bible is Psalm 71 that talks about uh, those of us who might be uh, getting on. Even when I'm old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. At any stage of life, you are a part of the, 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 the eternal movement of God, spreading his love and his light the world over, the, the generations who are coming after us, that you can contribute to their story. You know, the story of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago is our story, and our story we're continuing to write for the next generation to be a part of that. And I'm excited, I'm excited about what we get to see in the next 10 years of this church, 20 years of this church, to see these young seeds grow up in the faith and, and to lead us and to, and to take us into new territory for the church. It's an exciting time. Would you stand up and pray with me? <laughs> Heavenly Father, again, we are so grateful and thankful, again, for what you're doing in us. Um, and we, we humbly continue to say that it's not about us and, and anything that we think that we're doing, God. It's all about you. Uh, and we're, we're, we're so grateful. So continue to lead us, God. We want to go where you're going, do the things you're calling us to do, uh, and to see you continue to do miracles in our lives, uh, even in the face of our faithlessness and our mistakes. Uh, And so we testify greatly, God, that that you are the author, the perfecter of our faith, that you are the one who causes growth, uh, and that you are the God of our lives. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.